Hermione Granger and the Silent Country. From There Is Nothing to Fear by Santissi Day. Read by Sam Gabriel. Based on the works of J.K. Rowling. Chapter 20 The Smallness of Your Size On the morning of the second task, Hermione, Fleur, and Victor assembled once more at the Quidditch pitch. The block from the first task had been removed months ago, almost as soon as the first task was over, and in its place was a field of grass and blooming flowers, colorful and free of snow. It was unseasonably warm here, like a pleasant spring day, for the sake of the spectators or the task or both. In the center of the field was a tall oak tree. Griffiths stood beside the middle of three tables, each of which was accompanied by a covered booth and covered with oddments like a small pile of beads. As soon as everyone had settled in their seats, Griffiths raised her wands to her throat and began to speak. At this, the second task of the Triwizard Tournament, our gallant champions have three new judges, unique to this stage of the event, whose areas of expertise may prove vital to the champions' evaluations. The first of our new guests is J.J. Solomon, Master of Beasts at the Seven Rings Circus, the only magical circus native to the Levant. With her introduction, there stood a witch who wore an attempt at, or less charitably, a parody of muggle clothing, a t-shirt emblazoned with logos that bounced or scrolled around, and text written in Greek and other characters, a tie whose end lay across her shoulder like a scarf, and a baseball cap whose brim was so long that it better resembled a duck's bill and nearly overshadowed October. She waved with both hands, bowed, then sat down. The next judge was a bald man with a thick red beard, dressed in silky pearlescent robes. He towered over the other judges, not simply because they were sitting, but also because he must have been almost seven feet tall. Hermione had spent four years under the towering eye of a limp Maxime, so she was not altogether so impressed as she might have been under other circumstances, but she didn't think he was broad enough to have any giant's blood in him. Radu Fieraro, chief armorer for the Grand Ban of Transylvania. The mention of his name inspired a little applause from the Durmstrangers, and not a few boos and hisses, which came most vociferously from the umbrella-shaded contingent vampires, Hermione assumed. Griffith swallowed and darted her eyes about in evident worry, but if Fieraru heard, and how could he not, he didn't react. Riddle stretched out a hand, and Fieraru's critics hushed. Griffith smiled, but the expression looked stressed and painted on. Finally, the fire gardener of Kunlun... The third judge, sitting two seats behind Riddle, was dressed in unadorned blue. The fire gardener gave the impression of a sort of aged youthfulness, with unweathered skin and gray hair, bright eyes and crow's feet. He nodded almost imperceptibly, and gave no other indications that Griffiths had mentioned him. "'Last time,' Griffiths said, "'I told you first what the task would involve, and then added a wrinkle. I'm going to do it differently this time. Today?' You'll feel the wrinkle before you see the fabric. Griffiths gestured to the robes and beads on the table beside her. As soon as I'm finished giving you the first part of your instructions, you will have fifteen minutes to don your new robes, and then enchant these beads however you want. Keep in mind, however, not just that your time will be limited, but that you may, despite how small they seem, have trouble carrying too many of these beads. The reason for this is that when the second task begins... Each of you will drink a vial of modified shrinking solution. 
Griffiths held up three small, twitching sticks in her hand. None of them could have been much more than a couple of inches long. Your exact height will vary according to your performance in the first task, and this stick at your assigned table has been matched to your intended height. My assistants at the tent are busy at this very moment making sure that each vial is perfectly suited to you and will perform just as we intend. These robes have been enchanted to shrink with you in order to protect your modesty. You will have the benefit of your new robes, whichever beads you have enchanted, and whatever magic you can perform without a wand, which you will have to hand over to the judges before we begin. There were gasps of surprise from the audience, but Hermione nodded. It made sense. Wands could be temperamental things, and Hermione wasn't aware of any methods by which someone could shrink a wand or any other magical focus without damaging it. You may approach your tables, Griffith said. And when she opened her hand, each of the three sticks flew in a different direction and began to rotate in space above a table, like the hand of a clock. You have fifteen minutes, or until your stick has become vertical again. There was a covered screen for Hermione to change behind, but it still felt an awful lot like she was getting dressed in front of an audience. The black fabric of her new outfit caught light oddly, almost devouring it like Riddle's robes, and it clung to her joints, not sticky, but impossible to jostle away or move in any other manner save by hand. Immediately after she changed into her new robes, Hermione scooped up the beads on her table and headed for Fleur and Victor, who had already gathered at the centermost table. If Griffiths appreciated the display of interscholastic camaraderie, her sigh hit it excellently. "'We aren't going to have to fight each other, at least,' Hermione said, and she looked out on the field. Do you think that it'll just be a race to the tree? It could be, Victor said. If we are so small, then it will be good to have a way of traveling quickly no matter what. And to carry things also, Fleur said. She held a bead up to the slowly rotating stick. If I'm truly to be this small, then the bead will seem very large to me. Victor, I have not seen you in Arithmancy, but I could perhaps say a self-taught student, she asked. Victor shook his head, and Fleur frowned. To have a magic pocket would be more convenient, but I do not think I could make one of the proper size under these circumstances, not in mere minutes. Magic pocket is bottomless pot, bottomless pot, Victor asked, and Hermione nodded. I think I can be spelled to be light, perhaps even float, as well as whatever else we need, he said. Then we should certainly have something which helps us to move, Hermione said. She looked back at the field and tried to imagine what it would look like when she was just a couple of inches tall. Whether or not it's a race, there has to be something to this besides just being small. We probably won't be able to go in a straight line, and we might get lost. Now, a basic locomotion charm was entirely feasible for her to enchant, but that wouldn't assist them very much. She could probably modify an ascending charm to determine its vertical plane according to the direction of the bead, but enchanting... There will be beasts... Fleur said. Puddle? Soliman is a handler of beasts, Fleur explained. I do not know the purpose of Yuan presence, but Firahu must be acquainted with enchantments, and there must be animals, or why else would Soliman be here? Magical beasts could definitely get us turned around, even if they were shrunken too, Hermione said. You wouldn't happen to have massively improved recently with divination, have you? she asked Victor. Fleur was masterful at arithmancy, of course, but that didn't tend to be good for directions unless there was a map handy. Very little, Victor admitted, but that was fine. If all you needed were directions, then divination usually wasn't all that much better than looking at a map, 
and it would be tricky to put together a cup of tea or coffee when they were small. They ended up settling on three beads, one to assist their movement by propelling them, another to produce a sharp pain whenever it hit something, and the last to stop bleeding and alleviate pain, just in case they ran into any trouble. None of their spell work was very fancy, but enchantments were trickier than their freely cast counterparts, and quick enchantments were trickier still. As it was, they ended up with very little time to spare. Are you all prepared? Or at least as prepared as you're going to be? Very well. Griffiths flicked her wand against the air, and the silence was broken by a howling concertino. She flicked it again, and a disillusionment melted away where her wand had touched. A wooden cage, twenty feet on every side, containing a number of large, white-furred dogs, their double tails double-wagging. There will be five Volcanova Sundar on the field today, each of which possesses a gold token like this one around its neck. The gold circle glinted in her hand. Your second task is to retrieve as many of these tokens as possible. The judges have been instructed to judge you primarily on your overall performance. But the number of tokens that you can retrieve won't just affect your score, but your chances in the third and final task, even if their usefulness may not immediately be apparent. Griffiths jabbed her wand, the cage opened, and the dogs ran loose, racing past her, past Hermione, and into the field. Please pick up your bottles and prepare for my mark, she said, wand raised. Hermione lifted the vial to her lips, it smelled like ammonia, and with a three, two, one, and a bang from Griffith's wand, she drank the potion, which ran sweet and pungent down her throat. Be warned, the beasts which you are about to face may be minuscule, but soon you will be no bigger than them, Griffith said. A doxy may be a fair match for you, and a jarvy like a dragon, but the dogs themselves would be living, moving mountains. Moments later, Hermione felt the ground shift beneath her feet, and the whole world expanded and grew away from her, or so it seemed. It took several seconds to adjust to the change in perspective. She felt sick, but this passed after a minute. What lingered was the feeling that her skin was just a little too small for her, as if it were stretched taut against her bones and muscles, and might tear at any moment. The fear that this was true, that something had gone wrong with the potion, went away even more quickly than the nausea but some of the discomfort remained. After she finally adjusted, Hermione surveyed her changed circumstances. The bell was now a perfect fit for her hand, while the ballistic bead was as bulky, though not nearly as heavy, as a bowling ball. Stalks of grass overshadowed them like trees, and Hermione was hardly able to see any of the dogs. "'Fleur, could I borrow your ladder?' she asked. Hermione received it without a word." and marveled internally at the fact that she was, for the first and probably only time, a little bit taller than Fleur, a whole quarter of an inch, at this size that was more than a handspan. The ladder stuck firmly into the ground, locking in place as if the legs had been glued to the ground, and the top part shot up until it rose above the grass. Even though there was nothing to rest the ladder against, Hermione felt completely steady as she climbed the rungs. From up here, the field looked like a jungle, and the dogs were, just as Griffiths had said, like white mountains, though they ran, played, and scampered with disturbing agility. The Hermione understood it was she who had changed. Some deep part of her still insisted that such large beasts, which seemed longer than whales and taller than a stack of elephants, ought to plod and lumber. Hermione gave a shake of the bell. She still heard nothing, but the dogs all sat at once and howled. She slid down the ladder easily, as if it simply would not allow her hands to fall away, and pointed in the direction of the closest dog. That way, 
if you couldn't hear it, she said. Walking to the dog was like traveling through a jungle thick with green, unbranching trees. The ground was almost rocky. At this scale, undifferentiated soil had transfigured into a hundred distinct forms, clumps and pebbles and shards of detritus. It was chillier than any jungle, however, and colder than before, as if they had exited the arena for the late winter temperature beyond it. Even Victor, who was more accustomed to the cold than any of them, was still caught off guard. "'Why is it so cold?' "'I think that it's because we're so small,' Hermione said. "'Metabolisms work differently on this scale. I read a book about what would happen if you made ants elephant-sized and elephants ant-sized and other things like that. We should be even colder, but I suppose that the shrinking solution is helping us as much as it can.' Getting onto the dog was tricky, but ringing the bell again had stopped it long enough for Fleur to stick one end of the ladder to its side, and then nothing, not even a shaking dog, could dislodge the ladder as they ascended. Climbing was easier than Hermione had expected, but that, too, could probably be accounted to her new size. She felt light, the work effortless, like she was a small child on a climbing frame. Fleur retracted the ladder to its original size and fit her arm through a gap, and then they set off. Walking across the back of the dog was like traveling through the warmest snowdrift in the world, and they held hands to avoid losing each other. Dogs were not made to be walked upon by small people even in the best of times, but Victor and Fleur kept hold on the fur, neither of them letting go at the same time, and Hermione kept them together even through the worst jostling that the dog could offer them. When they reached the dog's neck, Victor set to work on the collar. The token was tied up in a veritable Gordian knot, in a thread which was almost as thick as Hermione's arm, but the handsaw cut the thread in a matter of seconds, and the token dropped to the ground. "'We'll have to go back down to get the collar,' Victor said. "'This was easier than I was expecting,' Fleur said. "'It's quite pleasant, really,' Hermione added, and she patted the dog's enormous shoulder, losing sight of her arm in the thick underfur. With a jerk and a swing, Fleur extended the ladder again and stuck it fast, and they traveled back down past the tree-like pillars of the dog's legs. Once they were back on solid, unfleshy ground, Fleur set the ladder up again so that Hermione could play lookout once more, high above the grass line. When Hermione rang the bell this time, only four dogs sat and howled. She rang it again, and the same dogs howled in reply. It seemed that each of the items had its own use and didn't necessarily obviate the others, the bell, as far as Hermione could determine, was useful for determining which of the dogs still had a token to obtain, and made it easier to climb those dogs. If the three of them hadn't been working together, then the bell would have helped her to avoid wasting time chasing and climbing dogs whose tokens had already been taken, but it was useful even so. Hermione couldn't tell the dogs apart, not at these distances or this size, and she doubted that Fleur or Victor could either. The only issue that they encountered on their way to the second dog was a patch of dead vegetation and noxious violet slime, wider than Hermione was tall. Hermione's eyes burned just to stand beside it, and the miasma practically set her throat and nostrils afire. After a few false starts, they figured out that the ladder could be locked into place at an angle, which meant that they could cross the ladder as a somewhat uneven surface. Fleur jostled the ladder to detach it from the ground, and then they were on their way again. The next dog after that was no more trouble to walk across than the last, but its white fur concealed an unexpected fellow traveler. It looked somewhat like a mole, cylindrical and squat-legged, with fluffy white fur like the dog they were climbing on, but it couldn't have been larger than a cockchafer. Of course, at Hermione's present size, that meant it came up to her waist. 
The disconcerting part was that where a head should have been, there was instead a complex, interlocking whirl of spiraling, jointed razor blades sprouting from between its shoulders like a hideous, sharp flower. Fleur's eyes widened and her hand tightened around Hermione's. They're just least vampires, Hermione said. Those are vampires? asked Victor. Not exactly, it's just a name. They're more like a kind of tick, I suppose, Hermione said. The least vampire growled like her parents' garbage disposal, sharp jointed appendages slicing and screeching against each other. It's probably harmless, she added. They mostly suck the blood of larger creatures. Probably, said Fleur. Mostly, said Victor. The least vampire reared on its back legs, and Fleur unleashed her ladder, swinging down and extending it in one fluid motion, and clubbed the vampire in the side of its head. The force of the blow was so great, or the least vampire was so light, or both, that it was soon sent flying away from the dog. Fleur, it wasn't going to do anything, Hermione exclaimed. It was doing something. It was just being showy, Hermione said, trying to make us back off. It was more afraid of us than we were of it. You may be underestimating my fear of it, and I would not want to leave this dog to deal with them either. It is not right, Victor said, frowning. On their way to the neck, they encountered two more leased vampires, each of which met the business end of Fleur's ladder. Then Victor sliced the collar off just as before, and they slid down the ladder to retrieve the second token. Above them hung the eyes of Providence, vast to them, lights that hovered like extra suns. They could almost be forgiven for thinking it was too easy. The trouble began with a hum, soft and distant. The sound increased so gradually that when Hermione thought back, she couldn't remember when she first sensed that anything was changing, only that she finally noticed when a great pink appendage whipped past and, by sheer luck, failed to catch her. Hermione looked back and beheld a monstrous orb, adorned with soft hair and two bulging eyes, with a worm-like tongue that extended several times longer than its body. Puffskeen said never looked awful before, but Hermione was bite-sized now. They ran. Behind them, the Puffskeen waddled lazily, but its tongue whipped and darted, weaving between blades of grass and attempting to trip or ensnare them. When Fleur fought back with the ladder, the Puffskeen's tongue wrapped around several times, wrenched the ladder from her grip, and snapped it in a display of lingual dexterity and strength Hermione had never known they possessed. Victor's handsaw probably would have fared better as a weapon, but the Puffskeen either perceived the danger or just wanted to toy with them, either way its tongue evaded the handsaw as easily as it had snapped the ladder. Fleur grabbed one half of her ladder and then loaded onto it the biting bead, which they had enchanted with the stinging hex. She hurled the bead at the puffskeen, using her fragment of the ladder like an improvised cesta. It yelped sharply, and its tongue retracted, but only for a moment, long enough for Hermione to consider ducking back to retrieve the bead, but then the puffskeen's tongue rolled out again, and it looked ready to resume the hunt. It never got the chance. A sudden, FLAT-MOUTHED GUBSHITE! was all the warning anyone got before the situation changed, with great violence. And there was a flash and a blur of black fur, and the puffskeen twitted away, wrenched sideways by a great carnivorous shape, all teeth and muscle and choleric hunger, like a worm with legs. The tongue spasmed, the screaming continued for more than twenty seconds without ceasing, puffskeen wailing and Jarvie swearing, and then stopped. 
Hermione fancied that she could hear the Jarvis chewing behind her as she ran. Every few seconds she could certainly hear it speak, murmuring foul-mouthedly to itself for dinner conversation, or making noise like the tittering laugh of a small child. It wasn't until the Jarvi was out of earshot that anyone seemed interested in slowing down, and then for a couple minutes it was all Hermione could do not to fall down. The fourth dog was chasing pixies beside the tree by the time that they reached it. The pixies pulled on the dog's hair, and it snapped sharply at them whenever they poked it in the cheek or got close to its ears. When Hermione rang the bell, the put-upon cane not only paused a moment to howl, then immediately resumed snapping at the pixies. Trying to climb the dog without a functioning ladder was like a bit of furry rock climbing, and made for one of the most nervous minutes in Hermione's life thus far. As she had to grip the dog's fur more tightly than before to keep them from being thrown off as the dog leapt about, the dog turned out to be the least of their problems, however. No sooner had they reached the top than they attracted the notice of the pixies, a couple of whom picked up Victor by his legs and abducted him. Fleur swung what remained of her ladder, and a pixie stole that, too. The only thing that seemed to bother them was the bell, and only when they were close enough that Hermione could smack it into their grasping hands. That was no good for Victor, who had disappeared up into the branches of the tree, and whose handsaw had dropped somewhere in the grass as he swung, upside down and ungracefully, at his pixie abductors. For God's sake, Hermione muttered, and the dog ducked suddenly in a playbow with another of its companions, and she reached out for the nearest handful of fur to catch her fall. Fleur, who was not concerned at all with Victor's fate, "'He'll be fine, they're only pixies,' insisted that while they were here, they should get the token." Making their way to the front of the dog while it was bucking at every turn was kind of tricky. Even trickier was getting the token without falling, especially because they didn't have anything to cut the collar with, so they had to untie a knot as thick as their arms. Fleur ended up using both hands to do the job, and in the moment that she succeeded in finally removing the token from the collar from any kind of fixed position, the dog jumped again, and Fleur went over the side. Hermione reached out immediately. The edges of their fingers brushed against each other, and Fleur slipped away, fell away. Without thinking, Hermione flung herself from the dog's neck after her. The impact was soft, hardly noticeable. Fleur, you're all right. We're alive, Hermione said, almost disbelieving it. Compared to her current height, the dog's shoulders were maybe five stories tall. It took a moment for that to lodge into her brain. Oh, of course, it's like bugs. The smaller you are the more survivable the drop. Well, I feel rather silly now. Fleur's gaze gave no suggestion that she was even half as amused as Hermione. You leapt after me, you fool. I, well, I didn't really think about it. Then you need to think about it. Hermione, you could put yourself in such danger. Think about your own safety before you try to rescue someone. Hermione dusted herself off and looked up at the tree, it was massive, a great pillar rising into the sky. Speaking of rescues, we really should rescue Victor now that we've gotten the token, she said. Did you listen to what I just said? We don't have to rescue him. When the task is finished, he will be returned anyway, will he not? said Fleur. They're only pixies. I'm sure he's in no danger at all, only much annoyance. I did the same for you, Hermione said, and Fleur sighed and relented. If you insist, Fleur said. But we shall find the handsaw as well, if we are going to this trouble. The field, however, was a small forest, and there was too much space in which to look, and neither of them found any trace of it. When they reached the tree, Hermione and Fleur walked along its base for a few minutes, looking for a decent place to begin their climb. 
What they found instead was a hole, maybe six inches wide at the opening. Since the tunnel went along in a vaguely upward direction, Hermione and Fleur decided to follow it in, and they were led to the very center of the tree, which was mostly hollow and dotted with innumerable other holes, through which light could shine. It looked like they could climb out near the top, so Hermione and Fleur decided that the safest thing would be to make their ascent from inside the tree, safely ensconced away from the pixies and anything else that might notice them outside. They tried to use the ballistic beat at first, but it wouldn't take them more than a couple feet straight up into the air, and so they gave it up for a minute in favor of climbing. That wasn't really dangerous, as had been proven by their earlier fall from the dog and several falls within the tree's hollow, thanks to their experiment with the ballistic bead, but it was still tedious. They decided to split the difference and use the bead to ascend in stages. This was tricky in its own way and required some pauses as they looked for the next best place to aim, but it was better than just climbing. Whether it was on account of all that leaping around or just because they entered its preferred stretch of the tree, however, they attracted undesired attention and just barely flew past a pair of twiggy, outstretched fingers, twice as long as Hermione was tall. Hermione and Fleur rocketed away together, propelled by the ballistic beam, but the Votruckle was indefatigable, leaping after them with the quickness and coordination of a monkey, the endurance of a tortoise, and the comparative size of a full-grown acromantula. Worse, where Hermione and Fleur had to make sure that they aimed for something they could hold on to, the Botruckle could dig its claws in wherever it pleased. Once they exited through a tunnel, but the Botruckle's arm reached after them almost as far as they could move, then pulled away and reappeared from another hole, and then the Botruckle itself climbed through. Their dance in and out of, and up, always up, the tree was exhausting them faster than the Botruckle, perhaps because it had been built for a hunt like this, and perhaps because it had, well, been charmed for such a purpose. When at least Hermione was about to give up, while they were running back down a tunnel again, she realized that they were not as outmatched as she had thought. Fleur, let me take the ballistic bead, she said. Are you going to do something stupid? Hermione yanked the ballistic bead away, and before Fleur could finish that thought, held the bead in front of her with both hands and stroked her thumbs against it. She flew forward, bead ahead of her and pulling her along, straight into the Botruckle's eye. The Botruckle backed off, hissing, clutching its face with long fingers that wrapped all the way around its head, and Hermione's fingers scraped and slid along the tree's inner wall. When she finally gripped the side, Hermione hung there for a few seconds, hands and arms sore. "'I'm okay,' Hermione said as soon as she'd caught her breath. She looked down, then sighed, and began the slow upward climb with Fleur. She disapproved, of course. It was obvious from the tired frown on her face, but Hermione was immune to that because her plan had worked. The ballistic bead was on the ground somewhere, but so was the bow truckle. It was probably better to climb away than to encounter it again, potentially before they even found the bead again.' Beside the tedium of searching for appropriate handholds, and doubling back on one occasion because they couldn't find a path from their current position, their progress was not unpleasant. It was even a little nice to be cliff-climbing, or tree-climbing, as it were, with a friend. Victor was as still as a statue when they found him, near the top and outside of the branches, but as soon as they were spotted, he shook his head with small but rapid movements. "'No, don't,' he whispered, and then he paused." Hermione looked up and held in a gasp. They were standing beneath a small hive of billywigs, sapphire carapist insects with stingers as long as Hermione's arm, not to mention all the amiability of a wasp. If Hermione had been bigger, that might be worth something, but billywigs, like wasps, did not usually hold much respect for creatures which weren't too much like them in size. 
As she watched, the billywigs buzzed fiercely. One came frighteningly close, and Hermione froze, willing herself to stillness until it started to flit away, apparently satisfied that she was not threatening enough, and it was not hungry enough, to do anything about her. Then Victor coughed, the billywig turned, and Hermione pushed him down just before it stung him. Above them, Hermione could hear the billywig spin away, apparently content that the terrible strange thing had been frightened or slain or at least wasn't interesting any more. Behind her, she heard Fleur breathe in sharply, almost choking. Hermione turned around, or tried to, and nearly collapsed as she did. Oh, she said. Red blossomed across the lower part of her robes. Absently, Hermione pressed a hand against the stain. And there was a give there, and her fingers seemed to sink in a way which Hermione thought they really rather shouldn't. I don't... I don't... Fleur, I feel kind of odd. She smiled and chuckled, and laughed and laughed, until quite suddenly there was nothing wrong at all. She felt rather as though the world was turning topsy-turvy, and then the world suddenly tipped over sideways. She found her head in Fleur's hands... She was almost laying down, but on a cushion of air, while one foot stood straight up like a column. Hermione, what is wrong with you? Fleur asked. But her eyes faced upward, watching for another approach from the billywigs, while Victor applied the blood-stopping bead to Hermione's leg. Those who have been stung by a billywig suffer giddiness, followed by levitation, Hermione recited. She reached lazily for the dull ache in her leg, then realized that aches couldn't really be touched and reached for her leg instead. With one hand, Fleur took both of Hermione's and redirected them, while Victor wrapped a strip of fabric over the wound. Hermione, what were you doing? Too many stings may cause the victim— Stop quoting the book! Well, I'm not sure. It was just one sting. But I'm awfully small right now, so in a sense— Don't be saying point, Hermione. Fleur put her hands on Hermione's leg. We have to default, she said. But Fleur, we're nearly done. Look how hurt you are. It's fine, Fleur. Look at me, I'm fine. You are hovering an inch off the ground, and, and you have been impaled, Hermione. You are not fine. I'll get better. This all seemed very obvious to Hermione. She wasn't dead, and she wasn't dying. What was the concern? Hovering was a very interesting feeling at that. Hovering, and the whole relaxed thing she was feeling, too. Hermione understood that she probably would have worried, had she not been suffering. Experiencing, experiencing was the right word the effects of very much billywig venom, but other Hermione was dumb, and her opinions didn't matter. She probably will, Victor added helpfully. Probably? But it's not spiders, Hermione said, though even the spiders didn't seem so terribly awful right now. Maybe they would be more ticklish than itchy if it happened again. Oh, flowers, Fleur agreed, blushing slightly. But I would still feel better if you quit. I won't, and that's it, Hermione said, crossing her arms. "'What if all of us quit?' Fleur suggested. "'Fleur, we can't quit now. If we quit now, I'll never forgive you.' The words ran freely, flowing like breath from her lungs, and just as intangible. "'We can still—I'm fine, see?' Hermione kicked the air, which was actually a bit easier than she expected, given the whole levitation thing. "'It's nothing sleep won't fix. Maybe potions, too. Probably potions. Do they have a potion for floating? I bet there's—' "'Well, then,' Fleur said, sounding very defeated— we still have one more token to acquire, but we are rather high up. Victor looked down. Hermione did as well. It was a long, long way down. We can fall down, Fleur said. And Victor looked at her as if she had confessed to a secret habit of eating flies when she was alone. No, it's true. It's well. Have you ever dropped a bug? They're always fine, Hermione said. I'm not sure if I can fall, though. 
In the end, it didn't matter that Hermione had a case of the floats, because Fleur and Victor each took one of her hands before they leapt, and their weight was sufficient to bring her down with them. In fact, they fell more slowly than Hermione and Fleur had before. Mid-descent, Fleur shook her hand, which held Hermione's hand, which held the bell, and she saw the lat of the dog sit and bark before they landed. They rang the bell a couple more times after that. They didn't need the ladder to track the dog exactly, since it was impossible to miss what direction the howls came from, but they did get waylaid here and there by a streeler slime and other nuisances, and the ladder would have given them a better lay of the land, but it was all right. Hermione's left foot never quite touched the ground, but she nevertheless felt progressively heavier and maybe even a little pleasantly morose. After a few minutes, Hermione felt well enough that she didn't feel the need for hand-holding, though she didn't mention that, just in case she had a relapse. She still had a limp anyway, even if the blood-stopping beat had reduced the pain to a soft ache. The grass rustled, and out of it spoke a sharp, whiny voice. "'Hello, chuckos!' was all the warning they got before the Jarvie emerged, great and mangsome, quick as lightning. Victor immediately had the idea to chuck Hermione away like a quaffle, which was a terrible idea— he was obviously trying to get her out of danger, which was the first reason that it was terrible, but she wasn't all that floaty anymore either, so after the first foot, which was, to be fair, a bit long at this height, she sort of just skidded across the dirt. The worst part about being tossed was that it had the exact opposite effect that Victor intended by catching the Jarvie's interest. Before Hermione even made contact with the ground, the Jarvie pounced, bounding past Fleur and Victor, and when she got to her feet, there wasn't the time or space to run— the Jarvi was simply too big to outpace. In the space of blinking, Hermione was pinned under a clawed paw as big as she was. There was no time even for her life to flash before her eyes. She was loose again, and the Jarvi laughed. Run, Bint! And then she was under its paw again, then free. The Jarvi whiffled like a leaf in the wind, furiously hopping back and forth in every direction, burbling and murmuring foully. The Jarvie's head snapped forward, jaws clapping shut just beside her face, and Hermione swung the bell at its nose. In the distance, a dog barked. "'Too hellish quick!' the Jarvie said, and it leapt again, darting at her and diving away, laughing in delight. She swung again, dreadfully certain that it was only the Jarvie's amusement which was keeping it at bay. The Jarvie batted Victor away with a paw, effortlessly and thoughtlessly, and did the same to Fleur whenever she got close, and knocked Hermione back to further separate her. She swung the bell, and it rang even as it met empty air. Maxime surely wouldn't have agreed to this if anybody could really end up being eaten by a Jarvi, but she swung the bell, buying another second as she tried to think of a solution. The dog barked again, much closer than before. She swung the bell, almost hitting home this time, and the Jarvi laughed. Both Hermione and the Jarvi nearly jumped out of their skins when the dog appeared above them, a great white cloud obscuring the sun. "'Get heads, bitch!' The Jarvie snarled, but the dog only growled. "'Dirty old sleech!' the Jarvie cried, but the dog barked fiercely, and the Jarvie quailed and slunk back. "'They were grisly anyway, you flat-mouthed gobshite! All bones with a spleeny dickbag!' it muttered as it disappeared into the grass. The dog gave no sign that it understood. As soon as the Jarvie could neither be seen nor heard, the dog approached Hermione. Coming so close that its enormous nose almost touched her, the dog snorted, almost knocking her back, and the bell was blown from her grip. The dog immediately put a paw down on it. For a moment Hermione remained still, thinking about how they would find the dog again without the bell, but the dog didn't leave. When at last it laid down in front of her, she understood. 
or thought she understood at least, and climbed the dog. Fleur and Victor ascending close behind her, they worked together at the knot, and then Hermione retrieved the token. She patted the dog's shoulder. "'Good dog,' she whispered. And she slid down its leg onto the grass, holding the token high in her hand. For the full text of this and other stories by the same author, visit the archive of our own page of Call Me Saltisside. The music is Amon Ra by Days Witch, under a Creative Commons license, with assistance from 1T1. If you would like to commission me to record a story, voiceover, or character, please get in touch with me using the contact information on my website, which is located at sangabrielvo.com. And there you can find other stories that I've read, as well as links to my Patreon page, to which I hope you consider subscribing to support me, and my Discord server, where I record things live for your enjoyment. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.